The sports fan lives here on ESPN-UP, online with our app, Tanner Hoops in studio with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on your Tuesday afternoon. Special guest with us, it's a name you all know if you're familiar with the station. Max Stevens is a student at Northern Michigan University. He does our weekend sports updates and our board ops for sporting events. And congratulations to you last week. I saw you got honored by the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Oh, geez, even you saw that, Tanner. I did, congratulations, quite an honor. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Tanner, and thanks for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure to be in here. I like to, you know, get on here, get as much experience as I can. It's always a pleasure coming in here, you know, talking about sports. I'll I'll take any chance I get. Well, you picked a good day to come in because there's been a lot happening. We've got basketball, football dominating a lot of the hour, a little bit of hockey, and even some baseball to go over here in the next hour, what's been making news and what have you. But let's start with Anthony Davis and the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. He announced yesterday he was seeking a trade. He announced this morning that he prefers it to be the Lakers that he's traded to, and that's the only team he will re-sign with because he's going to be a free agent here in about a year and a half. There's a bidding war going on between these uh, different NBA franchises. The Lakers are going to have to give up most of their future if they want to land this guy. That would include probably Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, and a future number one in the NBA draft. I don't know if that's worth it, but at some point you got to invest in LeBron. You think back about this summer. For me, it falls on Magic Johnson because as the general manager, he needed to pursue Paul George, excuse me, more aggressively and make that deal happen because they could have signed him. They wouldn't have lost anything but cash. They would have been able to keep Kuzma and Ball and all these guys. But now you're going to have to give up an arm and a leg if you want Anthony Davis. And I wonder for a guy who may not be around. He says the Lakers will be the only team he would re-sign for, but I wonder if that's all going to be worth it. Well, it's interesting you bring you bring up uh, Magic Johnson and the Lakers pursuing Paul George. It was, uh, it was my understanding, and I believe it was publicly kind of brought up a while back, was that he didn't even grant the, Laker, the Lakers a, a free agency meeting. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He was not interested at all. And I just think it's funny how every day, it's every time somebody requests a trade, it seems like all anywhere anybody wants to go these days is L.A., mm-hmm. which I guess is understandable. You know, we're in the middle of this this Arctic vortex, this mm-hmm. this absurdly absurd cold. But I, so I guess I I can understand wanting to be in California right now. But you're right. I mean, the Lakers, if they want to make this happen, they have they would have to give them an arm and a leg, as you said. But the, then it, the question is. You know, he's, the Lakers are the only team he'll re-sign for. So if you're any other team in the NBA, how much stock can you put in that? And is it worth it to then go after this guy? Or if you're the Lakers and he's publicly said, the Lakers are the only team I'll re-sign with, is it worth it then to just wait for Anthony Davis to become a free agent and sign him? But then you got to think, you know, LeBron is two years older. Mm-hmm. Not that that really seems to matter because the guy just – you know, he's LeBron James Mm -hmm. and you know, your young core has gotten more of a chance to develop. I mean, if, if I'm the Lakers, I really got to think long and hard and there's going to be a lot of conversations with the Pelicans about this trade, because if he's come out and said the Lakers are the only team I'd resign with, then I'm not really sure. I want to go after him super aggressive and, and possibly hurt my, hurt my team in the long run, you know? Well, here's what I want to just put the finishing touches on what I thought about Magic Johnson. You said that they didn't even have a free agency meeting. That's because Magic just didn't pursue him as aggressively as he should have, and now it's coming back to haunt him. But the problem is Luke Walton's going to be the scapegoat. Magic Johnson's probably going to fire Luke Walton over the next year or two, and Luke Walton's going to be the one that has the hammer fall on him, which I don't think it's his fault. I think he's a fantastic coach, and any team would be happy to have him. Uh, Anthony Davis said regarding he won't resign with anybody else. For me, that shortens the list of teams that he could potentially go to only to teams that have a realistic shot at winning an NBA championship this season. Because if he goes to a team like Toronto, they make a package for him. He gets up there and teams up with Lowry and Leonard, and they win the NBA Finals. I know he says he won't resign with anybody else, but I'd have a hard time walking away from that. I was just about to say, you know, if you deal him to a, to a contender like Toronto, how do you how do you walk away from teaming up with Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's also, you know, it's interesting you bring that up is because you. It's also would be about putting him in a situation and finding himself in a situation where he said he wants to go somewhere where he can win titles. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, I don't know why you'd want to go anywhere in the West other than Golden State if that's really what you wanted. But you know, you put it, you put them up there with Lowry and with Leonard, and we'll see what happens. Because honestly, I think at that point, they're if they're not already the favorite to come out of the East, they would absolutely be if they acquired Anthony Davis. The latest odds came out, and they have five teams that are at one hundred percent to get into the Eastern Conference playoffs. And I'm sure you can guess the five: Boston, Milwaukee, Indiana, Philadelphia, and of course Toronto. So you've got those five that. Is it fair to say if any of those five were to land in this season, I know Boston can't, but if any of those five were to, that they would be easily the favorites to win the East. They might contend for the title. I would think that'd just be too hard for Anthony Davis to walk away from. On the flip side of it, if you're Toronto, you're basically new going into the season that you were renting Kawhi Leonard for one year. It might be the same thing for him. If you can win a title by having him team up with Anthony Davis, make it hard for both of them to walk away. That's very true, but the problem with with Tor- Toronto trying to acquire Anthony Davis is that they already gave up mm-hmm. their big trade ship to get Kawhi Leonard. They gave up DeMar DeRozan. So the question is, do the Raptors have enough left in the tank to make a compelling offer for Anthony Davis? Which, you know, again, that would be a really long and very difficult conversation with to have with the Pelicans organization and to have with yourself. Like, can you look in the mirror and go, okay... Can we trade all these players, and can we can we sacrifice so much for Anthony Davis to have to give ourselves the best possible shot to win the NBA title? And we're talking a guy who's been in the MVP talks, who's been undisputable top five player in the league these past couple of seasons. So absolutely, there's no question the impact he would make if he went to Toronto. And the question is, would the one year, would this one shot at winning the title be worth? sacrificing so much, so many pieces of your organization, you know, picks, young players, whatever you can scrounge up after they traded for Leonard. That's the decision the Lakers are going to have to make right Mm -hmm. now because you look at the packages that some teams could put together. I know Boston isn't eligible to be in the bidding for him before this summer, but if he's still around by the summer, Boston definitely will have a package that they can put together for him. Mm I'm, I just wouldn't be satisfied with what the Lakers have to offer. I mean, I know Anthony Davis doesn't want to be in New Orleans anymore. I don't necessarily blame him. But you're not obligated, if you're the Pelicans, to trade him wherever he wants to go. And you're certainly not obligated to trade Anthony Davis for players like Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram. I mean, there's nobody other than LeBron that I would... I'm a Celtics fan. There's nobody on that team that I would feel would be an upgrade over LeBron. Maybe Kyle Kuzma. Otherwise, I don't want Ingram. I don't want Lonzo Ball. I mean, you get LeVar Ball with that too, and he's going to start. He's going to start his rants again once uh, his son's no longer teammates with LeBron. We'll get ready for those. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually the next point I was going to mm. bring up is the Pelicans. Remember, Anthony Davis come out and said my preferred destination is the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Well. He doesn't actually have any power in that. So if you're the Pelicans, why then would you accept an offer from the Lakers or from the Raptors when you could wait until the summer and go, okay, well, Boston can offer us. Boston has by far the best available selection of young talent and of draft picks. Mm -hmm. So why would we not just wait until July and do, do business with Danny Ainge and the Celtics? Selfishly, as a Boston fan, that's what I'm hoping happens. I'm hoping that can convince maybe Kyrie to stick around because I've heard the rumors that he is thinking about resigning, he's not thinking about resigning. I would think if there's appeal for Anthony Davis to go to Boston, though, it involves being teammates with Kyrie Irving. Absolutely, and I think that would also be a big... And again, it would be like what we just talked about in Toronto, where if Anthony Davis teamed up with Leonard, that's the exa- almost the exact same situation in Boston where you team him up with with Kyrie Irving and with Gordon Hayward and you slap him in that lineup, how how do you walk away mm-hmm. from what is then far and away the most talented team in the Eastern Conference? You look at the NBA landscape and how it's changed over the last couple of days, and Davis is probably going to get fined for the tampering and what have you that happened with this. New Orleans Pelicans are looking into a long-term investigation maybe with LeBron's agency because there's rumors that they reached out to Anthony Davis to try to recruit him away. So for whatever reason, the tampering, what have you, Davis is probably going to get slapped with a fine by this. 
It got even more interesting this morning when Clay Thompson comes out and says that he wouldn't mind going to the Lakers if Golden State doesn't offer him a max contract. So now you're talking about maybe the Lakers being the team to beat in the Western Conference if for whatever reason they can land Anthony Davis and Clay Thompson. Then I don't care if you lose Kuzma and Ball and those guys. I'd be okay with that. And it's very interesting that you bring up what Clay Thompson said because up until what you said just now, Clay Thompson has been very adamant about the fact that, like, I'm in Golden State. Like, mm-hmm. we won three out of the four, three out of the past four titles. Why would I ever walk away from this? Why would I ever play without Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant? You know, even they got a pretty deep bench. You know, they got some solid role players: Livingston, Iguodala. You know, a young Jordan Bell. He's mm-hmm. he's been very adamant about what purpose other than the money would I ever have to leave Golden State, especially right now. They, DeMarcus Cousins just came yes. back. But now, that's interesting you bring that up. because. But then if you're the Lakers, you run into this problem where, okay, we're, we are the NBA market. I don't think that's disputable. The mm-hmm. Lakers are the NBA market. They will never have a problem landing free agents, which is why if I'm the Lakers, I would be... I think the Lakers can be more comfortable giving away prospects and draft picks than any other team in the league just for the simple fact that they are the Lakers. They they can afford to they can draw in free agents. They can get the big name guys whereas you know teams like Milwaukee or Detroit where we live, we don't have that luxury, you know. Lakers will have no problem landing free agents. Yeah. So the Lakers will have no problem landing free. So if you have Davis and you can get Thompson then at that point it'd be like the same thing is if you made the trade and you dealt away all your young players, if you signed Davis, if you signed Thompson, but then you're going to run into the salary cap, which is an issue. You know, how many max guys can you have? Remember, DeMarcus Cousins is only on the Warriors because he took a deal that was worth way less money than he could have gotten. He took, what was it, $5.3 million? Mm-hmm. And when he could have been due for like a max contract, like somebody would have signed him, but he just wanted to win. So he took, you know, probably. Twenty million less than he could have gotten, and went to Golden State. So if that if that doesn't isn't indicative of where the NBA is right now and the mindset of these players, then I don't know what is. We're really up against a break, but I really want to touch on that because you talked about Boogie taking a pay cut because he wants a ring. What if Anthony Davis, for whatever reason, took a pay cut to join the Golden State Warriors? Everyone in the NBA would lose their ever loving minds. Adam Silver's got to veto that. I mean, I, and especially because recently the whole the, the Chris Paul trade that got vetoed, yeah. everyone brings that up, and it's like, well, then how was how did Golden State happen? Mm-hmm. That's got to be I, at some point you've got to draw the line. And if I'm Anthony Davis, I, the whole point is he's already making bank mm-hmm. with the Pelicans. You know, he's one of the highest paid players in the league. It's pretty clear if he wants to walk away from that, it's just because he wants to win. So. I could see it, but again, that would be, have to be a point where Davis would have to wait until his contract runs out and sign with the Warriors in free agency because if I'm on the Pelicans, there is nothing that the Warriors are going to be willing to offer me that I'm interested in. Tanner Hoops, Max Stevens with you on the Sports Pen. We'll take our first time out. When we come back, we're going to stick with the Southern California mindset and think warm, but we're going to dive into the dark world of conspiracy theories next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, online with our app, Tanner Hoops, Max Stevens with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on your Tuesday afternoon. Conspiracy theory. Adam Schefter reporting yesterday that there might be a little more to the missed pass interference call against Nikhil Roby Coleman in the NFC Championship game. Adam Schefter, one of the most respected minds at ESPN, came out with a report that said four of the officials in that game have Southern California ties, that they either grew up or they currently live in the Los Angeles area. They officiate a game that New Orleans should have won. The team from Los Angeles ended up winning. So these four officials whose hometowns or current cities are Lake Forest, Mission Viejo, Lakeview, and Santa Barbara, maybe there's a little bit of a conspiracy going on. I don't know if anyone actually took that seriously. I mean, people knew it was a bad call. People thought, okay, well, this is kind of weird. But then the NFL made its worst mistake yesterday. 
and they acknowledged it and they made a statement about it, vehemently denied that it was any way connected with a conspiracy. But the worst thing they could have done is say anything about it. I mean, for Adam Schefter, this is low-hanging fruit. I'm a little disappointed that someone who is as talented as him would write a piece like this. But the NFL, in its own right, I mean, you've got to sit this one out. This is just not smart to get involved with it. No, and perhaps another question that needs to be asked here is how does this even happen in the Mm -hmm. first place? You know, you take a look at other professional sports organizations. Major League Baseball, you're not even allowed, you're not allowed to umpire games for the cities that you either live in or that you grew up in. So, Mm -hmm. like, I, for example, if I became a Major League Baseball umpire, I could never officiate a game in which the Detroit Tigers were playing. I couldn't do it. So from a purely administrative standpoint, I understand kind of acknowledging, like, hey, we messed up, that wasn't supposed to happen, but it never should have happened to begin with. That's something that you've got to take care of before they ever even... Before you even assign the officials, you should have you should take a look and go. Okay, these are the ones that we cannot have. I mean, at worst case for the NFL is they're involved in some deep rooted conspiracy to deny the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl that they want to fix this for L.A. Best case scenario is that the NFL is just incompetent and they can't pick impartial refs or they can't pick refs that aren't from the geographical areas. One team. I don't think there's anyone who believes. It was an actual conspiracy to do this. Ryan Stieg's been on here before, and he mentioned L.A.'s just such a fickle city when it comes to teams that aren't the Lakers. You know, they might be good, but who really cares? You think there are even four Rams fans that are in that area, let alone four officials in the NFL who would actually be Rams fans? I mean, people in L.A. aren't even Rams fans, by and large. Well, if you want to entertain the conspiracy, then you could say, was that the point? Was Mm -hmm. the point then to drum up interest in the Rams mm-hmm. to kind of gain support for this venture into Los Angeles. Because remember, the NFL is all in. It's not just the Rams. The Chargers moved to L.A. too. So they, the NFL desperately needs this, this, these moves for these teams to be a success. Plus, California is going to lose a team in Oakland because yep. they're inevitably going to go to Vegas. So NFL desperately needs this work. Now, I don't think that has any, any connection to the conspiracy. I don't really think there's a conspiracy here in general. The Schefter's report states that, you know, the Saints don't believe there was a conspiracy. They don't believe there was bias or that the game was fixed. The NFL isn't concerned about that, but there was concern just, as we mentioned before, with just allowing that to happen with four Southern Californian reps being allowed to officiate the game. So if you want to entertain the conspiracy, then that would suggest a possible motive. But I think the conspiracy theory is just that. It's just a conspiracy. I would wager to bet that before that play, the mispassed interference call, the average football fan couldn't tell you who Nickel Roby Coleman is. Maybe the Rams fans could, but by and large, he became a household name, especially among sports fans, because of the mispassed interference call. Which is ironic because he really didn't play all that no, well. No, he that didn't. Game. He played He's not terrible. Even, not even a top two corner for them. No. But now he's started taking on the identity that he is this superhuman that can trash talk Tom Brady here in the coming weeks of the Super Bowl, saying that Tom's age is taking his toll on him, saying he's not going to back down, but at the same point saying his comments were taken out of context. It's been a good amount of trash talk from both sides early on. And it bothers me so much that this the the trash talk and the official controversy it's all just taking away from the narrative of this game from you know Sean McVay against Bill Belichick and the the rematch of the greatest show on turf versus the birth of the Patriots dynasty like there are so many other narratives and storylines leading into this game which you know any facet of the way you look at this on paper should be a spectacular game and a fitting end to the season but it just it bothers me so much that just these players barking at each other and this official controversy is it's what's getting the limelight and not the fact that hey the Super Bowl is in five days let's get excited you know you had Tom Brady start leading some chants at their send off the other day and we're still here is being marketed and Bill Belichick tried his darndest to get the crowd into it with no days off but. Listening to the audio purely and not knowing that was Bill Belichick, I would have thought he was some crazy Armageddon guy with no life if I didn't know he was a championship-winning coach. I feel a little sorry for him in that regard, but he's got five rings. He doesn't need me to feel sorry for mm-hmm. him. And that's the whole point of, of Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady's really fired up because people have been ready to count him out 
for a while, and he just keeps coming back. He's he's like a cockroach. He just won't mm-hmm. he just won't go away. You could cut off his head, and you could argue that his head did get cut off when he missed that season with the knee injury, and he still came back. Mm-hmm. It just it's really been unreal, which is why Roby Coleman's comments make even less sense. That oh, Tom Brady's age has taken its toll, dude. He was the MVP last year. What mm-hmm. are you talking about? He had a fantastic Super Bowl last year, too. That is among the greatest games that he's ever had, and he's had some tremendous ones. Mm-hmm. He won five Super Bowls, and he was 40 years old at the time. So I don't know where the Rams are getting some of this. It makes it interesting for us in the sports media. Tom Brady said he was very clear with Jeff Darlington that he is not retiring after Super Bowl 53. When asked by Michael Irvin, Rob Gronkowski had a much different answer and it leaves his future in doubt. I really think he is retiring after Super Bowl Sunday. I think it will be his last game. I think he's tired of having the guys in the lab piece them back together every single week. But Gronk has had an interesting media week of his own. I don't know if you saw last night his comments to a female reporter asking if she knew what his favorite number was and like that was supposed to be funny or something. And, you know, it's one of the most Gronk things to do. I'm going to miss him when he's not in the game anymore, which I think Sunday will be his last. But, man, it's going to be weird to think that the Patriots are going to look back and think their troublemaking tight end was Gronk out of all the tight ends that they've had. Absolutely. You know, and that's just such a Gronk thing to do. Mm -hmm. That guy's really a character. But I I think you're right. I think Gronk should definitely, especially if they win, it'll be a lot easier for any Patriot, any veteran Patriot, to walk away after this game if they win. I think Gronk is one. He was considering retirement last season. And Gronk, if you've been watching this year, if you've been paying any attention at all, or if you had Gronk on your fantasy team, then you know he's not the same guy. He's not as dominant as he was. And granted, he had a great game in the AFC Championship, you know, Mm -hmm. Tony Romo called that pass to him in overtime. You know, if it's single coverage, they're going to go to Gronk over here on the left. Sure enough, they did. He made a great catch. He made great plays coming down the stretch. But Gronk didn't give them a season of that. He gave them one shining moment, which, granted, has been all they needed so far. But his production's way down. At this point, I I think Gronk is going to be one of those guys who walks away, especially if they win. It's going to be really, it will be easy to ride off into the sunset if you're Gronk. How excited are you to hear Tony Romo call a Super Bowl? I, I'm conflicted. Are you? Uh, on the one hand, um, it. But on the one hand, you know, Romo has he's had some great calls. There's no denying that. How, how you feel about you know his style, or you know his level of experience, whatever. He's had some great calls. That much is undeniable. Especially as we mentioned in that AFC title game and in, in overtime, especially. But at the same time. He's only been in, in the business for two years. Mm-hmm. He's only been calling games for two years, which I, on one hand, you know, for a young, for a young aspiring sportscaster like myself is like, great, shoot for the moon. This guy's only been doing it for two years, and he's calling the Super Bowl. But on the other hand, it's like, I can think of a lot of people who are more qualified to be doing the game. I I fall in love with listening to him more and more every week. It's fun for me to be able to hear him predict what's going to happen and then see it actually happen. Wade Phillips, defensive coordinator for the Rams, saying he's going to have the broadcast going in his earpiece so he knows what Tom Brady's going to do before a given play. It's such a Wade thing to say. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny. I had not heard that comment, but that's, that's pretty funny. Max Stevens in the studio with us. We hit the bottom of the hour, and we have to take a timeout. Coming up. We've got Bucks and Pistons this evening, plus the newest movie star in the NBA. All that and more next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Max Stevens with you. Here is your Sports Center update. Michigan Tech goaltender Matt Jeruzic has been named College Hockey's first star of the week after recording two shutouts against Anchorage over the weekend. The Minnesota Wild have agreed to a three-year contract extension with backup goalie Alex Stalock. And finally, the newest Northwoods League baseball expansion franchise, located in Traverse City, has its new name, logo, and color scheme. The team will wear red and green, and they'll be known as the Traverse City Pit Spitters. Their logo is going to be a cherry with a human face spitting a baseball out of its mouth. It's actually kind of cool, but 
I love that about minor league and small town baseball. You get some of the greatest nicknames. The Traverse City Pit Spitters will be the newest Northwoods League team. That's where I was in the Northwoods League anyway, over in Duluth, Minnesota, before I came here. It's a great league, mm-hmm. and you get to see some good baseball, some good nicknames, good logos, and color schemes, what have you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I had a cousin playing in the Northwoods League. Did you? What mm-hmm. team? Oh, shoot. I, I can't remember. I was very young when it happened, but my, mo- my mom would be able to tell you off the top of her head. He was a closer, though, Tyler Sparger. Tyler Sparger, a closer. Good for him. Yeah, it's a fun league to be a part of. I loved it up there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where the pit spitters came from until I saw the press release today. I had no idea that Traverse City is the cherry capital of the world, that the five counties surrounding Traverse City grow 40% of the yearly cherry crop in America? No idea. How long have you been living in Michigan, Tim? I've been here about five months now. Okay, well, then you'll get the pass. If, you've, starting to get if you've lived here for a while, or like like me, you grew up here, you've heard that a countless number of times, and you're just tired of hearing it. And people go, you know, Traverse City is the cherry capital of the world, and you just go, I know, I live here. I love cherry stuff. I just bought some new cherry 7-Up. It tastes like a like a Shirley Temple. I grew up about an hour from the ice cream capital of the world where ice cream was invented. They have the Blue Bunny headquarters there. So I'm I'm used to stuff like that where you get an area known for something, but I'm not planning on having ice cream anytime soon. It's cold out there. I'd much rather have something with a cherry in it. Mm-hmm. Cherry-flavored Slurpees are the best, by the mm. way. Don't at me. I don't know if I'm going to have a Slurpee, though, anytime soon. I Absolutely too cold. not. It sounds good in theory, but as soon as you walk outside, you're just like, oh, why'd I do that? Tanner Hoops, Max Stevens in the studio with you. We have a new movie star in the NBA, and I wanted to make this a quick update, but the more and more I hear about it, the more I have to expand on it and touch on it. Kyrie Irving is going to Hollywood. Kyrie Irving is going to be a new movie star. We knew he was with the Uncle Drew Uh, movies and what have you, but there is going to be a Hollywood-produced movie. It's going to be a thriller. I I wouldn't say it's a horror because there's not a lot of gore and violence, but it's going to be a thriller with a lot of scares. It's based on the real-life Skirvin Hotel in Oklahoma City that is supposedly haunted. It was built in 1911. Supposedly, a woman was thrown by someone that she was there with from one of the upstairs rooms and was killed and now spirits haunt the hotel. Supposedly this happened. The story is going to be that this NBA team is on their way to game seven of the NBA finals. They're on the private plane. They're living the high life. Everything's great. Then everything turns once they get to this hotel and it's basically going to be similar to the movie Poltergeist. I heard the director say during an interview, Kyrie wasn't supposed to originally be part of this movie. It wasn't written for him. One of the other executives with this product said that he was also involved with Uncle Drew. Would you like me to get Kyrie Irving? So he said yes. So Kyrie Irving is going to be the star player in this movie about the real-life Skirvin Hotel in Oklahoma City, which multiple NBA players have said they've had haunted experiences in. Metal World Peace, formerly known as Ron Artest, said that he was inappropriately touched by a ghost there. Take that for what you will. Other players to comment on it, James Johnson, Wesley Johnson, Patrick Ewing, and Dwayne Wade have all said they've had experiences with this hotel in Oklahoma City, and they're going to make a Kyrie Irving movie about it. I can't wait to see it. I just hope that the NBA doesn't become like like WWE Entertainment and Mm -hmm. just tries to shoehorn all of their top guys into these and just product place them in all these movies and just churning out all this content. You know, I'm I'm just hoping that's the road this doesn't go down because a lot of those are, uh, you know, not up to standard. WWE was trying to make some horror movies back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I almost wonder if that's where the NBA is going to go because LeBron James, he's a good actor. As good as he is as a basketball player, he's a once-in-generation talent, but I like him as an actor. I mean, he's got a future there after his basketball career, no doubt. And we're still waiting for Space Jam 2 to come out, inevitably starring LeBron James. I hear talks about that have been progressing. I believe I even wrote a piece about that for Public Eye News a while back, which is the Northern Michigan's on-campus student news. I believe I wrote a piece about that uh, a while back, but I'm pretty sure that's that's going to happen. No one knows when, but it's going to happen. I've been waiting since the end of the first one for it 
to happen, for number two to happen. But apparently Kyrie can act. Kevin Durant was in a Netflix movie. It was called Thunderstruck. It was basically a ripoff of Like Mike where someone steals his equipment and takes his talent or whatever. And he was still with the Thunder, so it was Thunderstruck. So Mm. it was just basically a rip of Like Mike. I don't know. I had some time to kill, and it was on Netflix. Mm. But Kyrie Irving, I can't wait to see it because, again, I'm a Celtics guy, best player on my favorite team, so naturally it makes me a Kyrie fan. Apparently he's a good actor. From what, I've been from what I'm from what I'm re- I read about Uncle Joe, I, I wanted I was intending to see the movie. I never actually saw it, but from what I'm reading is that uh, a lot of people thought the movie was okay, not great, but the acting from Irving or from any of the NBA guys was not the main complaint. Mm-hmm. So that at least bodes well for the future of, of this movie and for the few NBA NBA entertainment movies or and what have you. I tell you what, we're sticking with NBA because. We got a big one coming up this evening. In Detroit, it will be the Bucks and the Pistons. And it's a little bit of a battle of attrition between those two squads, both of them with guys that are trying to get healthy. Reggie Bullock is doubtful with a left ankle sprain. Ish Smith is going to be out. For the Bucks, they're going to be without Dante DiVincenzo. And then Malcolm Brogdon had a sternal contusion. He's listed as probable. So you've got a few role pieces that are going to be missing from each squad tonight. Sternal contusion. Yeah, that, does, that just Ouch. sounds unpleasant. I did. I kind of, I kind of tensed up when you just read it out loud. Yeah. I don't, I don't even have the sternal contusion, but mm. you just said it, and I was, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's the, kind of the name of the game when you have two teams at, going at it like this. Where the the Bucks again have had much more success than the Pistons, but they have a similar team composition where you know they have one big guy, one big name player, and they have a couple of high-caliber supporting players, and then a, a collection of supporting talent, you know, like Atenokounmpo and, and Griffin and Brogdon and Drummond, Bledsoe, Jackson, you can make a case for for the Pistons. Mm-hmm. He's not really a, a superstar by any means, but he's the best the Pistons have to offer right now. So these are two very similar team or teams with similar compositions, excuse me. You look at maybe how the Pistons could improve on it. I talked about the odds earlier in the show, how five teams are at 100% to make the Eastern Conference playoffs. Right now, Detroit has the ninth best odds with only 28%. They need an extra spark to come through and try to get into the postseason. And the trade deadline is coming up. I'm a little surprised they haven't made any moves, especially in the backcourt. I know that they're waiting for Reggie Bullock and Reggie Jackson, maybe even Luke Kennard to break out. I'm wondering, will they ever, though, or how long are they willing to wait? Because last year, when they made the Blake Griffin trade, I came on the show, I was with, I was with Blake, and I told him, and I, in my, my case, they were excited, we have a superstar in Detroit, and I was also excited, like, we finally have a player whose name everybody knows playing in Detroit. And, you know, we can buy a jersey, we can be excited to watch the games, which is something we didn't have for a long time right. in Detroit. But it was at a great cost. Gave away the first-round pick for the last year's NBA draft, which I believe turned into Miles Bridges for, yeah. for the Clippers. Uh, so that would have that been you know, a hometown guy who I believe is having a solid rookie season over in L.A. But you also look, Blake Griffin's got a monstrous contract, and that's why there wasn't a whole lot of trade rumors swirling about Griffin. It's because nobody wanted to take his contract. He's going to be, at the age of 32, making the most money that he ever has had in his career and just with the direction that the NBA is flowing people were concerned about the way Griffin plays and how he fits into a modern NBA offense because even in the prime of his career you know Lob City him Chris Paul DeAndre Jordan in LA they never made it past the second round so that was my main argument of why I didn't I was skeptical of the trade was that it's kind of like you know like that where we have Drummond Griffin and and Jackson if you want to compare him to Chris Paul, Chris Paul, if you even can, that sort of big man centric team doesn't work in the in, in today's NBA. Boogie and Anthony Davis couldn't get it done either. They never went anywhere in New Orleans. So that was my proponent of why I was a little skeptical of the, of the trade. And now because of the contract situation, because of Drummond's contract and because of Griffin's contract, and we already gave away last year's first round pick, Pistons, we just don't have any assets to really give away that are enticing to teams to make a move that's going to have significant impact. And if you want to talk about 
we can't go any deeper into our pockets trading away draft picks. We just can't because teams aren't even going to want our picks. We're sitting at ninth in the Eastern Conference right now. We're three games back with the Hornets. Our picks aren't good enough to really, you know, they're not high enough for a team to look at that and go, would it be worth giving this, giving away a guy, you know, like a like a Kemba Walker for, you know, pick what? Pick 14? Pick 15? I know that Andre Drummond's contract is going to make him less appealing to a lot of teams, but I have the feeling that the Pistons need to be shopping Andre Drummond at some point because I don't believe he factors into the team long term. The way that he clogs up the lane right now, everyone knows he has no range. They're just going to plug up the middle. You need to be able to shoot if you're going to be a big man in the modern day NBA. And Drummond can't do that. And Blake is almost getting double teamed every single time he goes down to the post. And they force Blake to play like a guard. So I don't know what kind of deal you can sweeten if you combine Drummond, maybe with a mid-level draft pick, if you can get at least a capable guard, maybe a a veteran guy who's willing to take a veteran discount, what have you. I just don't see Drummond factoring into the team long term. But the issue with that then becomes if you're giving away Drummond, who's been your anchor for so long, and he's been the piece that the Pistons have really tried to work around, whether you agree with that or not, that's what they've done. Would it be worth it then? Because then you have, you just made this big trade for Griffin. You traded away your other big man. And now to add what? You know, a veteran guard for... To, to add to the supporting cast, the supporting cast of of what at that point, you know, the Pistons, I, it's just I'm at a loss for words here because there's just at I'm at a loss for what would even happen in that scenario because like even with Drummond and with our setup right now, not even in playoffs right now. Granted, we're only three games back and it's a long season. There's still plenty of games to go, but. Pistons just really don't have a whole lot of room to build. And it's like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Detroit's not a a big market. We can't draw in those big free agent names. You know, like an Anthony Davis would never take an offer to come play in Detroit over an offer to come play in L.A. So that's just the the shtick that Detroit has been given. And even when you look at this the most success Detroit has ever had when they've managed to win their NBA titles. It hasn't been with the biggest superstars. It hasn't been with the big names. It's been miraculous runs of homegrown talent and of hard knock defensive basketball. You know, the collection of the 04 team that Detroit loves so much and even the bad boys with the Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas. But beyond that, you know, you talk about the other guys on that team like Lambeer and Dumars compared to the other guys in that era is Detroit's never thrived by building this big team. It's always been a collection of talent. So you're right. It could, you know, adding a veteran guard or or making some moves in the backcourt, they've got to get rid of Reggie Jackson. He's not the answer. I think that much is clear at this point. And I've been ready to call Stanley Johnson a bust pick for the past year and a half. So I, I do think it's time for Detroit to move on, but the, the question is to what? And I don't really think there's a good answer for that right now. Well, that was kind of my point is that shopping Andre Drummond, I know he's been the anchor for that team and he's been a key piece of it. At some point, though, they've got to move on because he's not going to factor in long term. And I know if you trade away uh, him, maybe some picks for a veteran guard, then you're not expecting him to step in and be the star of the team. But if anything, he can take pressure off guys like Bullock and Jackson, Ish Smith and Luke Kennard and guys you have in your backcourt and maybe allow them a better chance to reach that potential that they expected when they came into this season. Yeah, and and again, I think it's another issue is just that the Pistons have drafted so poorly these past couple of years. It's also contributed to the way that they're in, you know, Luke Kennard could have been Donovan Mitchell. Stanley Johnson could have been Devin Booker. You know, you just think one or two of those things goes the Pistons' way. They pick the right guys. This is a whole different conversation that we're having right now. So, again, I, I, I at some point, right, we have to move on. The issue is, since we made that Griffin trade, we really don't have any room to do that with because we don't have good enough draft picks. We don't have a good enough collection of young talent that is appealing to would-be trade partners. 
It is the one-year anniversary of the Blake Griffin trade. So happy really? one year for Blake coming here to Detroit. We have to take a break. Max Stevens in the studio with us. Coming up, we've got the AD sweepstakes happening right now. And soon enough, we'll have the Zion sweepstakes. That's coming up in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Max Stevens with you. Thanks for hanging out with us as we wind you down to the 5 o'clock hour. Before we get into talking about the Zion Williamson sweepstakes, a couple of reminders that tonight at the Nagani Miners hockey game, there will be a 50-50 raffle, and all gate fees will go to the family of Jake Johnson. Jake and his brother passed away in a car accident on Friday night, and the Nagani hockey team is going to support the Johnson family. All gate fees and the 50-50 raffle sales will go to help the Johnson family. So if you're able, we encourage you to go to the game and support the Johnson family. Also, the Ishpeming boys basketball game tonight with Houghton has been canceled. No makeup date set for this time. As of now, though, we've got Westwood basketball here on ESPN-UP this evening. Pre-game at 7, tip-off 7.15 as we take on Marquette this evening. Max Stevens in the studio with a Zion Williamson. Impressive as ever last night at the expense of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They win 83-61. Zion, another 20-point game. He now has more than any Duke freshman in program history, and the season's only half over. It's going to be the number one overall pick this year. I just don't see anyone who could possibly make their case be better than him. Oh, it's no contest. You, you can make the argument that Luka Doncic should have been the undisputed number one pick last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he wasn't, but you can, you can make the case that he should have been. But no, this, this year, there's, there's no conversation. Zion Williamson is the prospect in college basketball right now. Is it fair to say that he is the greatest Duke freshman of all time? That's my overreaction to what I saw last night, just seeing the Irish get torn up the floor and my heart torn to pieces watching it. I was going to say, I know that must have been painful for you, Tanner, because I could I see it was coming. Sitting, you're sitting across the studio from me wearing a big bright green Notre Dame sweatshirt. So, yikes. It was terrible, but we knew it was coming. Zion is the real deal, though. They've got such a good three-headed monster in that freshman class, and you couple that with the defensibility of Trey Jones and the geniusness of Mike Krzyzewski, and this Duke team should go all the way, but I tell you what, I can't even put my finger on why. I just have a feeling they won't. I just have a feeling this team won't win the national title this year. Don't ask me why I feel that way. I just feel like at some point in the tournament, someone's going to get the better of them, whether that's an experienced team that's been there before or freshmen not being able to play at that level. The stage is getting too bright for them. There have been a few cracks in the armor early on, losing to teams like Gonzaga and Syracuse. I just don't know that I believe this team is going to win the national title this year. I can't say, though, who else I think would. And, and that's, the, the, that's the beauty of college basketball, and that's why everyone loves March Madness so much. It's just the simple fact that anything can happen. You know, football, or excuse me, basketball is a much different game than, say, a sport like football in the sense that basketball, anybody can get hot or anybody can be cold, and that changes the whole complexion of the game. Like, for instance, last year in the national title game, nobody saw DiVincenzo coming, but he went off for, I think, 30-something, and it changed the whole complexion of the game. Villanova just wouldn't miss, so they ran away with the national title. But that's the beauty of college basketball, and you're right, you know, you can't say with any certainty that Duke will win it, but who else could you suggest? Like, who who would right now be your pick of a team to go to match up with Duke and beat them with everything on the line? That would be the question. That would be the counter question. I don't even know if you can pick three legit number one seeds. I mean, Kentucky's on the rise. Kansas is always kind of right there. I don't believe in Tennessee as the number one this year. I just don't feel like that they're going to end up being the best team in the country when it's all said and done. They've played so solidly this year, and they definitely deserve the respect for that. But, and again, it's, it's ironic that we talk about the SEC like this, but the SEC for a long time has just been Kentucky's playground. Mm-hmm. And we've seen kind of a regression of Kentucky in the past couple of years. They haven't, you know, we haven't seen Kentucky just run away with the field since they had 
Carl Anthony Towns and the almost perfect season. And if you want to go back before that, since they had Anthony Davis, who was, you know, and it's a similar situation. You compared Duke to can they do it? The last team that really could with the, the far and away number one pick was Kentucky when they had Anthony Davis. I don't know if they're going to do it this year, but this Duke team is pretty fun to watch when they're not playing your team, and I can't wait for March to roll around and see how everything shakes out. What about Michigan, Michigan State? Two teams that have kind of flown under the radar, honestly. I don't know that they're getting the credit nationally they deserve. Well, the Wolverines, I mean, they started with 17 straight wins, and Michigan just plays the way they, they play is, is unreal. John Beeline is an, an incredible coach. I actually had the, uh, the, the privilege and pleasure to meet him when I was a high school basketball player. Not, I was not being recruited or anything. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm that guy. You know? He was not recruiting me. It was just a, a trip that our team took to observe a Wolverines practice, and we, just, we happened to, to get to meet him. But, yes, this Michigan team, they play so unselfishly. And this is... We, we're seeing this Michigan team play like the great Michigan State teams in the sense that they don't have the big superstar. Like, you know, like Michigan State forever has always been better when they haven't had one guy who's been the answer, you know? Mm-hmm. And this Michigan team is, is in that same category where they don't have that one guy who, like, you talk about Michigan, you, they don't have an undisputed best player they don't have an undisputed like oh you know we need a clutch shot we have to go to this guy and that just feeds into this it's not this entity that is michigan basketball this season they've just been playing so incredibly well and you're right so is michigan state i love cassius winston yes that guy can ball it is a pleasure to watch him play You've got Michigan with a big one tonight as they take on Ohio State. That's a home game tipping off at 9. And then the Badgers are on the road for what could be a tough one at Nebraska. That's an 8 o'clock tip-off. Badgers are flirting with the top 25. Some weeks they're in, some they're out. But they're not a team you want to see at any point in the tournament because they can be dangerous on any given night. I don't know how deep of a run they're going to have this year in March, but they're going to be a spoiler big time for somebody. Absolutely, and that's just because of the way that Wisconsin plays. Wisconsin is just such a physical team they even if they don't match up against a team like in terms of in terms of skill like in terms of skill positions if they don't shoot as well as a team or they're just not playing as as good as a, a, their opponent in general they find a way they play hyper aggressive defense they will the badgers will just beat you up man they will make it almost like street basketball when they have to and they're comfortable doing that you know so the badgers are always a dangerous team and the call center is always a dangerous venue so you, you can never count out the Badgers. It doesn't matter how bad of a season they're having. They're always going to be in some games. Danner Hoops, Max Stevens with you on the Sports Pen. We went a little over in the last segment, so we got to cut this one short. Max, thanks so much for being here, man. Let's do this again real soon. Absolutely. Hey, it was my pleasure, Tanner. Thank you very much for having me on. That's it for us. We turn you over to the Will Kane Show. But first, your weekly message from the MHSAA. Thanks for tuning in to Sports Pen on ESPN-UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. Blonde bowls them over. You make the call on over and back and a bit of history. It's all next on This Weekend High School Sports powered by Michigan Student Aid, Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. Hi again, everyone. I'm John Johnson, and welcome to This Week in High School Sports. Already established among the best at finding the pocket, Flint Kersley Jr. bowler Amari Blonde is off to an incredible start this season. She's averaging 219 pins per game and rolled a 749 series with two perfect 300 games recently at the Flint Metro Championships. I got excited because I did joke around with my coach Rob before we even started the game and I was like, I'm about to shoot 300 this game. like, And I actually did, so I was pretty excited about that. Yeah, I was just kidding around, so I was actually really surprised that I actually did it. But perhaps more impressive is what Kersley continues to do from a team perspective. The Hornets are the five-time defending state champions in Division II and seeking a 10th straight Flint Metro Bowling League title. Our team gets along very well. Our spirits are always high. Usually when someone bowls bad, there's always somebody else to pick you up. Or, and then we always compete with ourselves, like each other, so I guess that's really keeps us up. You can read more about Amari Blonde and Flint Kersley Bowling on the second half page of the MHSEA website. 
Our MHSAA TV game balls this week go out to Detroit Catholic Central ice hockey goalie Zach Allen, who posted a shutout against Trenton last week, turning away 15 shots in a 1-0 Shamrock win in a battle of the state's top two teams in Division I. And Tyler Heckroff of Unionville Seabwing, who scored a game-high 18 points in leading the Patriots into sole possession of first place in the Greater Thumb West last week in a 46-39 win at Bad Axe. You can watch both of these games now for free at MHSAA TV. Back with more in a moment, you're listening to This Week in High School Sports. Do you need money for college? Michigan Student Aid is Michigan's go-to resource for student financial aid. They administer scholarships, grants, college savings programs, and other resources that help make college accessible, affordable, and achievable for you. See how they can help you today by visiting michigan.gov slash mystudentaid and connect with Michigan Student Aid on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. Our weekly Be the Referee feature looks into the fine art of officiating with Sam Davis. Let's test your knowledge of high school basketball rules with this You Make the Call. During a jump ball, a throw in, or a while on defense, a player jumps from the forecourt, secures control of the ball with both feet in the air, and returns to the floor with one foot or both feet in the backcourt. You make the call. Is this a backcourt violation or does play continue? In this situation, a player may make a normal landing on the floor without regard to where his or her feet come down. It makes no difference whether the first foot down is in the front court or the back court. There is no back court, or what some would have called an over and back violation. And play continues, with a fresh 10 second count applied if necessary to advance the ball into the front court. Thanks, Sam. You can be a referee. Go to the MHSA website now to register. We're going to have to get this shot away fast. Barnett fast up the court, he comes. It was 60 years ago that The Shot by Lansing Sexton's Bob Davis dropped through the net as the final gun went off and the Big Reds capped a miracle season by winning the Class A boys basketball title 80-79 over Hamtramck in overtime at Jenison Fieldhouse. An amazing story in that Sexton was 9-7 during the regular season and had no starter over 6 feet tall. But this close-knit group of kids from Lansing's west side put on an incredible run in the tournament to win the 1959 title and come back in 1960 to again claim the Class A crown. But against Hamtramck in 1959, the Cosmos controlled the game for 28 minutes before the Big Reds scored the last 15 points of regulation to force overtime. Art Reed made a free throw with 17 seconds left for Hamtramck's last lead to set the stage for the game winner by Davis. The comeback still ranks second only to Chassel's 18-point rally in the 1956 Class D final to defeat Portland St. Patrick, and a number of those Sexton players still reside in the capital city and keep in close contact with each other. You've been listening to This Week in High School Sports, powered by Michigan Student Aid, a production of the MHSEA Network. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm John Johnson. We'll see you next time.